Hello and welcome to the Matthias Barker podcast. My name is Matthias. I'm a psychotherapist from Nashville, Tennessee, and this is a podcast about mental health and moving towards what's meaningful despite hardship. Welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to get this interview to you. I've been waiting to be able to share this interview for the launch of season two. I'm leading with this interview because I think it's so incredibly impactful. And in part, um, I wanted to lead with it for selfish reasons. I just want to be able to refer back to this conversation and point people to it. I think the question of how do I persuade someone to change? How do I, okay, someone's going in a really terrible direction. Someone's making a terrible decision that's going to ruin their lives. I need to convince them to go the other way. What do I do? And to be honest, I have like, I don't know, an hour's worth of thoughts on that question. And it's, it's not simple to try to like, I don't know, narrow that down in like an Instagram message or in just like a passing conversation with someone. And so I want to be able to have like, hey, go listen to this interview with the master himself, Casey Jackson, and we'll explore that topic thoroughly. And I think that if you if you really listen all the way through, you're going to come away with some powerful insights um, into persuasion and how to help someone in their process of change. And I think the answer isn't what a lot of people are going to expect in, in, in a great way. Um, we're going to really explore the bounds of like, okay, how much power do we really have over someone's choice? And if we really do want to partner in someone's process of change, what's the best way to go about that? That's, that's kind of what we tackle together. And Casey Jackson, he's, he's a really great guy. He's just like, I took his training actually when I was in my master's program and it was a paradigm shift for me. It really, you know, I consider it as being like one of the, like the foundational, like aha moments that got me excited about being a clinician. I was in my master's program um, taking this course and I left that like what two, three day workshop or something with almost a completely different perspective on how to come alongside people in the process of change. And so I'm hoping that that paradigm shift will take place for some of you too. He's he's incredibly credentialed. He's, he's a motivational interviewing trainer. Um, he's the director, the executive director for the Institute of Individual and Organizational Change. Um, he's the lead author and I think originator. He created the Motivational Interviewing Competency Assessment, which is you know like for coding and it's, it's a coaching tool. It's one of the leading assessment tools used for training people in MI, a motivational interviewing. So he's got all the credentials and all and so what's cool about that too because I think he's done over like 3,000 workshops by now he's really gotten to flesh these ideas out in a lot of different contexts so he's trained police officers social workers teachers he's worked with parents and kids he's worked with all sorts of people so there's a pretty big dynamic range of how these ideas can be applied and and I you'll notice in this interview that I kind of question him on a lot of different circumstances I'm like well, what about this or what about this situation or what if this happened and Man, he's just quick with the reflex. He knows exactly how to answer it. Um, all right, I won't puff him up too much more. I'll let you just listen to him. But <laughs> Casey Jackson, everybody, uh, I'm so excited for you to hear this. Before we dive into the podcast, I wanted to let you know of a few sponsors who have partnered with the podcast. Brought on some sponsors for season two. Yep. It was a hard decision. I wasn't sure whether to do ads for a long time. And so if you listen one episode backwards into the life update episode, I kind of actually go into my whole thought process around do I do ads? Do I not? And I landed on the decision to um, have a few sponsors with this podcast because I really wanted to keep it sustainable. I wanted to pay for the team that's helping me run this whole thing and making sure it stays consistent. And I really wanted to keep it accessible. I didn't want to put up a paywall and force people to pay to listen to it. So um, this was kind of a solution for that. 
Yeah. So um, if you want an ad-free experience, you can also sign up for my Patreon. It's five bucks a month and you'll get a feed that um, you can just get the RSS feed and plug it directly into your podcast listeners, whether you use like Apple Podcasts or whatever. Um, you can have it load in directly so you can have an ad-free experience. Um, what's cool about that actually too is you'll get access to my guided meditations and that's only available to the Patreon crew. And the guided meditations, they're these experiential guided imagery exercises that are meant to walk you through different topics like identity, confidence, uh, trauma work, like you know, really kind of pulling us into in a more imaginative experiential space and processing some of these ideas, not just kind of these very intellectual lecture type things that are so common to the podcast. So it's kind of a whole different, uh, I don't know, domain <laughs> of the podcast that's only available for the Patreon crew. So if that sounds interesting, if you want some guided meditations, um, in addition to an ad free experience, you can sign up in the link in the show notes for the Patreon. So I reached out to Athletic Greens to be a sponsor on the podcast because I really like their product. I started using it a year ago when, I don't know, like vitamins started to become something that was like really front and center for me. I, I've seen how vitamin deficiency can impact people's mental health in my clinical practice, but also just in my own personal life. Like I can just see how improper nutrition can have a huge effect on how you feel, your energy levels, your mood, your immune system, you know. And so I... I wanted to find something that wasn't just taking like a big handful of pills, something maybe that was like all in one. And I found this and I really like it. It's 75 high quality vitamins and minerals. It has whole food source superfoods like greens and vegetables kind of ground up in it. it, has probiotics. And so it's it's something that if you want more energy, if you want to feel like you're really supporting your health, you're getting your greens in. Um, this is a great option. You can mix it into like a cold cup of water. That's how I like it. It actually has a good flavor too. It doesn't taste all earthy like most kind of green drinks do. It actually has a you know pretty nice flavor. So if you're interested, if you want to try it out, with your first purchase, you're going to get a few things. If you use um, athleticgreens.com slash Barker with a B slash Barker, you'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D in addition to what you purchase, and then also five free travel packs. Um, so that's pretty cool too. So make sure to check them out, athleticgreens.com slash Barker. So as some of you know, I started my career working with problematic sexual behavior, and that's when kids abuse other kids. And something that we saw, me and my team, we really commonly saw often was that kids who were prematurely exposed to pornography, to graphic content that they didn't know what to do with, but sometimes experienced similar symptoms to those who had undergone abuse. And it would be different in severity. It wasn't exactly the same, but... But it was severe. So a big value of mine is actually protecting kids from running into graphic content pornography because I've seen the mental health effects that it can have on kids and it's really worth preventing. And so I partnered with Canopy. Canopy is cool because they use artificial intelligence um, to actually detect and block pornography. So it's an app that you can put on their phone and on your phone and it can detect things like like graphic images online, but also things like sexting. Um, it can it can review uh, photos and their like photo library to make sure that they're not sending inappropriate photos to their friends. And so it's it's really something compelling. I really recommend that you take a look into it. Um, it's inexpensive. It keeps your kids safe. And if you uh, so go to their go to their website canopy.us/matthias, you can get 30 days free um, using it, and then 20% off for the regular price forever when you use the promo code Matthias at checkout. Really, really, really recommend it. If you have kids, you want to create a structure that protects them from running into graphic content. Try Canopy. It's one of the most advanced things out there. Um, highly recommend. You know, a problem that I ran into when I really started focusing on things like nutrition and vitamins and supplementation is I didn't know if the supplements I were taking were actually adding to my health or if some of them were useless, like I didn't need to be taking this particular vitamin, I needed something else. Like it's hard to know where my deficiencies are at or 
you know, what do I need specialized for my particular body? And so what I did is I reached out to Inside Tracker to be a sponsor on this podcast because they're a company with like a whole team of leading geneticists and people in biometrics and scientists that analyze your blood work. And what they do is they look at your blood and your DNA and your fitness tracking data, and they create a personalized plan for you with um, specific exercise recommendations and nutrition and supplementation that's just right for your body. And then you can send in your blood work progressively over time and actually track the actual progress to see if you know your health is changing based off of those recommendations so it's really cool i'd I'd highly recommend it if you're trying to prioritize your health in that way so uh, for a limited time you can get 20 percent off uh, the entire inside tracker store and you just go to insidetracker.com forward slash matthias and you can check out everything that they have to offer so yeah i highly recommend it check it out Casey, it's so wonderful to see you. I, uh, you, you probably don't remember me very much. We, we first met actually, it was in a room of like 70 people and you were teaching a class on motivational interviewing when I was in my master's program. And uh, I really enjoyed the class. It was like a paradigm shift for me. It really did shift, not just, you know, how I approach maybe my practice or, you know, as a clinician, but <laughs> like some just like general social skills that I use day to day just in real life. And and it was pretty. It was a pretty big shift. So I'm really happy that you took my call and that you're open to coming on the podcast. I'm more than welcome to come on the podcast. I do remember you. I, I <laughs> some of those sidebar conversations is what uh, what sticks with you the most. You yeah, know, it, it, it tries to get information out there for people to be the best version of themselves. Yeah, I remember. I I hounded you on your lunch breaks on <laughs> on the water breaks. I just like come up to the front. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, but tell me how this works. So what about this? What about that? So. I, I kind of hogged you all to myself in that in that sense. Worked. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought it could be interesting to dialogue with you on on a specific question that I think is generally applicable. And I know that motivational interviewing and or MI, that's kind of what we'll call it, motivational interviewing, yeah. MI, has an answer to this question. But the thing that is kind of in front of my mind is how do you convince someone to change? How do you how do you convince someone that the way they're doing something isn't working? There's a better way to go about it. And I know that there's no silver bullet, you know, that that uh, any therapy modality has to that question. But I know that MI takes kind of a unique approach in that. So maybe start a little bit by telling me just who you are and and why I should be asking you what motivational interviewing says about that. And then um, (laughs) and then uh, I don't know, whatever comes to mind as I pose that question. Well, you know, so my background, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a clinician as well in social work. That's my, my passion and, and working with people and trying to be effective is what I've been obsessed with, with my, my entire career of taking marginalized populations and how do we empower individuals to be the best version of themselves. So there's me just trying to be the best version of myself as a therapist or a clinician. And then just when I had the opportunity was um, on faculty at WSU, I just became obsessed with evidence-based practices. So not just me being the best version of myself and caring and wanting to make a difference. And, you know, people like to talk to me and I've got good advice. How do you evolve beyond that professionally into understanding technologies to actually help behavior change? So that's, that's kind of me. And, and what brings me is from the clinical side of it, and then adjusting over to how do I have a, an impact on other professionals so we can be the best we can be for people that we serve. So that that's you know how you and I ran into each other is me teaching on constructs of motivational interviewing, specific method of communication. Going to the whole thing about how do we convince people? We don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we don't. We, we we guilt. We can we can force. We can coerce. We can you know cajole people into trying to change. 
but what it always come down to is if, do you want long-term sustained behavior change or do you want compliance? I mean, for me, this is just always hmm. a fundamental question, no matter who I'm talking with. And, and usually either we want compliance or we want to be nice about it, or we want people to understand how we think they'd be better off if, but the big caution I always think about that is, do you want this human being to have their behavior in line with their values? Or do you want this human being to be in alignment with what your values are? Um, and, and that's that, that's an important question to to ask when you move into any conversation, personally or professionally, because that has a lot of impetus for why we try to convince people. Hmm. Is it, it's there's a part of it when you literally think about that that is almost disrespectful. Hmm. Um, who am I to convince you of where you need to be? Hmm. Who am, am I above reproach, and so I'm in a position that I should be able to tell you where I think you should be, or why I'm trying to convince you to do something? Why should I convince you to stop drinking, or should I convince you to have an abortion, or should I convince you to break up with someone, or should I kind of convince you to get married? It's kind of an arrogant position to operate from. Hmm. Um, and well, and I can hear a voice listening. Maybe the reflexive rebuttal to that is yeah, but but there's certainly you know, areas of harm and areas where it's, it's not ambiguous if it's going to lead to someone's flourishing. Like, you know, in a case of like drinking, you brought up, like, it's really hard to hold, you know, intention that, okay, maybe this person has a unique perspective. Like, okay, who am I sure to like, say that I'm better. I'm not saying that I'm better than you, but this is obviously hurting you. And obviously your life would be better if you stopped. And so then that maybe is the fuel behind the desire of like, Hey, you need to change because it would be, you know, blank, blank, blank reason. Um, you know, but so when you get that reflex of like, no, 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 but I do know it's not arrogance. I just, I care about them. What do you, what do you say? Well, the first thing I think of is, do you think that that individual you're talking to hasn't had those own thoughts on their own? Hmm. They're completely oblivious to the, their alcohol has caused damage in their life. They're completely oblivious to that. That's just inaccurate. What you'd rather uncover is what's their own concern about their use, their drinking or their behavior or their relationship or their sexual patterns or it's as soon as I lay out my perspective, especially when it has that tonality of, of wanting to convince or help or educate, as soon as I lay that out there, it leaves the person nothing to do but to defend themselves. So the, the desire to convince is going to have a higher probability to create in the other person the need to defend. Mm -hmm. um, if I try to convince you to get your homework done, if I try to convince you, the act of it alone puts me in a position where now they don't have to focus on their own struggle. They get to focus on me being a jerk or trying to convince them when it's really none of my business. So I literally rescue them for their potential ambivalence by giving them something to focus on outside of themselves to be annoyed with. What do you mean by that? So rescue them from their ambivalence? Well, because it's the same thing we're talking about. I don't care if it's drinking. I don't care if it's homework or I don't care if it's the relationship. If things are not going well, I guarantee they've thought about it infinitely more than I have. So then there's an arrogance that I come in to try to convince them about that, that, um, that I'm more concerned about their behavior than they are. At face value, that may be the way that it looks. Right, because it seems like they're in denial. Like it seems like absolutely. they're just not taking it seriously. And, and that's an interesting proposition. So like with, with the teenager that's not doing his homework or the, the, you know, the father, the parent, the, the, uh, the partner, the sibling yeah. that's drinking, it's like, well, obviously, if you understood the severity of this, you would change. Yes. And so I understand that you need to change. That means I have a deeper appreciation for all the factors that you're weighing here. But you're saying, no, no, no. Underneath the surface, they've probably weighed that pretty deeply themselves. And then to and are continuing to weigh that, which is and part of the right. weighing of that keeps them in status quo. 
Hmm. Um, that they're going to continue that behavior doesn't mean they don't think about it. I, I just think about you can watch so many movies you, you know um star is born just pick a movie <laughs> yeah. and how many times do you see somebody in a bar staring at the glass thinking how much longer am i going to do this to myself mm-hmm. as they take another drink mm-hmm. it it those those thoughts go there and you don't see them going there when somebody's sitting next to them you see them either increasing that behavior or getting defensive about the behavior because if the person comes and said oh my gosh i found you in this bar again why are you drinking mm. Well, I've been sitting here thinking maybe I should quit. You usually get a defensive response. Mm-hmm. It, it because if we go in there with an agenda, it gives the impetus for somebody to push back against our agenda instead of stepping back from that and being curious about what are your thoughts about your drinking? What are your thoughts about your homework? Is mm-hmm. this where you is this who you are? Yeah. The analogy you gave that made this click for me in your in your training was the teeter-totter and is the idea that you have someone sitting right on the middle of a teeter-totter. There's this access. They, they're undecided. They're trying to weigh, you know, let's take the drinking example of, hey, they, um, you know, they want to quit drinking. They see the effects it's having on the family. They see the trust yes. that it's breaking with the people that really care about them. They feel like crap. Like, they don't wake up feeling awesome. Like, they, they see themselves, like, all the destruction it is. But on the other end of this teeter-totter is, like, there's an emotional weight that they're trying to, you know, attend to. There's the there's the guilt, there's the shame, there's the pleasure of the addiction, there's the everything, all the problems that they're using the addiction to solve. Um, maybe their own guilt, their own regrets, their own perception of their own incompetence, what, whatever it is for each individual person. And they're like, okay, to you it looks easy. To me, you don't understand the background of everything I'm using the alcohol to fix. And maybe that monster to me feels even bigger. And so then we That's come over- That's my point about the arrogance right, about right, coming right. in and trying to take that over. Right, exactly. And so we go in with this with this preconception that I have a better understanding of your problem than you do. I've thought through it more. I have a bigger appreciation for the gravity of it. You're just in denial. You're not thinking about it. When in reality, it's like they're holding in two hands everything that we're saying, but then also yes. this whole maybe underneath world of, you know, excuses or whatever that's that's holding it up. And so they're in the middle of this teeter-totter. And then here I come or here we come and we plop down on one side of the teeter-totter and we're like Obviously, your drinking is ruining, you know, your relationships with your family. Obviously, it's ruining your health. You're going to die. And, and then in order to maintain balance, uh, the other person has to work their way to the other side of the teeter-totter and sit on the other side just to maintain that yes. equilibrium. That this is what you were just talking about, too, Matthias, yeah. because what happens then is how we rescue them is human beings don't like to be chronically here. They right. want to ignore it and shove it to the back of their head and not pay attention to it. Or if you're going to show up and say, hey, I think you need to be here, they're going to drop these two things and just go, who are you to tell me what to do? Mm. So so you rescue them because in the midst of when they debate this and they feel that internal pressure, that internal stress, because it's like, I know I should quit smoking. I know I should quit drinking. I know I want to pass school. I want to do these things, but I've got all these reasons I don't want to. This is not a fun place for human beings to be. We don't like that dissonance internally. We don't like chronic exposure to that dissonance internally. Sitting on a fence is uncomfortable. (laughs) That's exactly, there you go, 100%. And so as soon as you come into the equation, the pain from sitting on the the fence is gonna come directed blow Mm. right at you because it's like, I'm the one who's sitting here. You know, how dare you? Have you been sitting here? Well, yeah, I have been here before. Well, you're not me. Like you're mm-hmm. literally get this energy that just flies back and forth. Mm-hmm. And this flying back and forth means I get to set this de- internal debate. I get to set this to the side so I can, you know, duke it out with you. Yeah. And uh, that's what you're talking about where 
approaching someone in that way with that kind of that tone of I know what you need to do I know that you need to fix the problem you're in denial you're not fixing it all it does is put them on the defensive yes you know whether that's them wandering to the other side of the teeter-totter to maintain that balance and then they're just arguing with you for the sake of arguing with you or like you're saying it's that it's that attack of hey you don't know my problem you don't know what it's like to be me you're not sitting on this fence who are you to assume that you know better than me like back off buddy and and it's just aggression. You're not even arguing about the drinking anymore. You're just in a battle with them. It's exactly it. And this is why there's the complexity of that kind of a question, why it takes as long to answer is because when you say, you know, how do we convince someone? It's like understanding the the human dynamics behind that is important if you wanna if you wanna be able to influence it in the most effective humanistic way possible. And what we know will lean to a better outcome. Yeah. So then saying, that's the next question, right? So it's like, am I supposed to give up? Am I supposed to just like let my teenager not do their homework? Am I supposed to give up on my spouse drinking? Yeah. What's, what do I do? If I said yes, nobody would believe me anyway. Yeah. Everyone but turned off the podcast. That's yeah. not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 would, that wouldn't be the best case scenario and it wouldn't work that way anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But what it is, is we'll, we'll think about this. So what you're talking about is we're, what we want to get away from is creating this dynamic here where the power for potential change comes from is literally from that teeter-totter start with where they're at i mean it's it's an overused concept but it's so accurate where are they at with the issue not where am i at with the issue and this is where you have to surrender kind of that arrogance perspective or i think i know it's best for you if you can surrender that and again meet the person where they're at and and hear where their ambivalence is i i, I say this so often what i look for in a conversation where change can happen is I want access to that brain that's laying in bed at night with her head on the pillow, just staring at the ceiling going, God, what am I going to do from here? Mm. That's the brain I want access to. Mm. I don't want to kick down the door and say, Hey, why are you thinking about this? Why aren't you doing this? Because all it's going to do is disrupt this thought here and allow them to go this direction here. And I, I just want to circumvent that. So we're not passive in the process, but the literally from what you and I just talked about, the amount of energy it takes to not go in with a strong opinion or telling them what they need to do, yeah. it's an incredible amount of energy on our part and a humility mm-hmm. on our part. Yeah. So to be able to go in there and to listen without judgment, to listen from a place of curiosity, that is an active intervention. That is an incredibly complex, difficult intervention to pull off well. Mm-hmm. To listen without judgment and to listen without trying to convince, to just hear what's going on. I Think about the times, Matthias, for you, when you're in a complex situation or a difficult, stressful situation, you know the person you can go to who's going to pour you a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or a beer and you guys sit down and talk and they don't give you a single opinion. They just let you get it all out of your head. Mm. And by the time you get it all out of your head, half the time you already know what you need to do. Like literally, mm. it'll even come out of your mouth where you're like, I know what I need to do. I don't want to do it, but I know what I need to do. Because you got an opportunity to just get it out of your head to get that whole teeter-totter out of your head and out in front of you. Because the way it sounds in here, we can justify and rationalize all sorts of things. When we go to explain those same things to other people, to friends or family, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, it sounds so much better up here than it does when I'm trying to explain it. Like you don't quite yeah. understand how it works in here. So when people go through that process of explaining that debate or that dilemma, they start to get a different vantage point, even though it's their vantage point to start with. Mm-hmm. So, that, so we are not passive in the process at all the things we have to do just don't look as aggressive or assertive as what people traditionally tend to think. Hmm. So you're kind of saying we need to start with where they're at 
And, and perhaps one of the more helpful things we can do is give them a space just to think out loud for themselves. Because like you said, they're already wrestling with it. They likely have an understanding of how destructive the potential behavior is. They're just wrestling and, and it's easier to not think about it, of course. And so giving them a safe space to think about it, um, to really process without a bunch of judgment, without us jumping in and giving advice might be the most helpful thing. And I could hear someone thinking or listening isn't that enabling though? Like us just avoiding the issue? Isn't that disingenuous that we're not sharing our opinions or our thoughts and, and just being like, Oh yeah, well maybe, you know, non-judgmental is that, how does that not lead to us reinforcing the behavior? Well, again, I think there's a point of arrogance that you have that power Hmm. uh, to think that you're reinforcing their behavior. Um, So if we don't say anything that we're reinforcing that behavior, it's just, there's just, there's a lot of arrogance in those perspectives. I I think it's normal and it's human because we tend to be more self-centered as creatures anyway. Uh, But when you step back, that's a lot of power that we have that if we don't, if we don't confront it, then we condone it. And if we're condoning it, we're, we're increasing that behavior. Mm. I think it's an interesting narrative to track, but I don't know how accurate. That's fascinating. I like that. Can you open that up a little bit more? So you made an interesting trail there. It's like, okay, if I don't say anything, then I'm condoning it. If I don't condone it, then I'm enabling it. And then if I'm enabling, then I'm increasing the behavior. That's that's an overestimation of how much power I actually have. That, in my estimation, if you really unpack that, that is a when you follow that track, it's like, wow, I have a lot of power. You know this from what we do when we look at kind of the latest information around suicidality. Yeah. The, the huge fear, most of my professional career is you don't address as much of the, the, the isolation. It's we're trying to build hope. This was in the early days of how do we deal with suicidality. And then it was just that kind of blatant realization that you don't implant suicidal thoughts in a suicidal person. They were there before you showed up. Right. If right. It was suicidal. Yeah. So it's like, well, if I talk about you're really stressed and depressed and you feel like you have no friends and nowhere to turn from here. Why would you say that somebody that's suicidal, you're just going to make them kill themselves. And it's like, those thoughts exist in their brain. Why, why are you giving me so much power mm. to something that already existed? Mm. You're taking something that existed and attributed it to me. It's the same construct. And what we're talking about here is that, well, if I don't confront it, they're going to continue to drink. Mm-hmm. They're going to, well, think of this way. I mean, Cause this is one of my yeah. triggers. Yeah. It's like a show like intervention. Yeah. It's, it's great on TV interventions mathematically if you look at the research interventions do not have good outcomes no what people end up doing is leaving the house disconnecting from their only natural or or supports that they have that are trying to hang in there and be supportive of them and people draw a line in the sand and the person who's in that situation is just like i'm out of here Mm -hmm. i'm not screw you i'm not doing this Mm -hmm. well we're doing it because we love you that is not how it feels on the receiving end Mm -hmm. and then and what it does what it justifies on this side of it is saying well, we were honest with them at least. So at least I said what I could. Yeah. I said my piece. Go. I said my piece and now they can do, and now they know as if they didn't know that before <laughs> the intervention happened. Yeah. Wow. The parents have already yelled at them. The, the brother has said, stop borrowing money from me. No, you're not going to borrow my car anymore. No, I'm not going to lend you any more money. No, you can't hang out with my friends anymore. Like they've heard all these things before, but if we, if we do it in a really loud, concentrated way where they can't escape, now they're going to hear it. That to me is kind of the convincing that ends up being more confrontive than convincing. Mm-hmm. And even convincing is like, who are you trying to convince? You're trying to appease yourself because you feel so bad for their behavior. Mm-hmm. At least I got to be, I get to unload my guilt or my stress, or literally what I feel for most people is the frustration mm-hmm. of feeling so disempowered of, I want to do something. And I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to be honest because I think that's what people equate 
to a good intervention is I'm just going to be honest. Mm -hmm. And then it's on you as if the person doesn't already know those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've, I, this, uh, idea was reinforced for me when I started training in the Gottman method, doing couples counseling, because the Gottmans, what they did in couples counseling world, they're like, Hey, couples counseling is actually predictive of divorce. So <laughs> more people are getting divorced after going to couples counseling than, than staying together. Why is that? And it's exactly what you're describing. They get into the chair and then they just vent to each other. And they just tell the other person how messed up and terrible they're being and how inconsiderate they are and how you're not listening to me and you're just nagging me all the time. And they just vent out all this frustration. They're unloading all this emotional tension and energy and intensity. There's actually um, stories, I, I think I read it in a textbook in school, where one modality was to give both people like a foam bat and then let yes. each other hit each other. <laughs> like, you could buy those bats in a catalog, in a therapy catalog. You could buy those photography uh, no. bats or something. Wait, oh, yeah. really? like still? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no. just next to books, next to play therapy games, and then you had to talk about You could actually buy those in therapy <sighs> catalogs. Destroy your marriage yeah. in three quick racks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and improve your swing. Yeah, and then the Gommans came and was like, okay, we have to dialogue about the areas of tension, but in a different way. And in a way that's non-critical, in a way that's not judgmental, in a way that assumes the best, that doesn't assume ill intent, in a way that isn't contemptuous. And, and I think a lot of that is adjacent and aligns really closely with what I you know, learned from UNMI, which was, um, yeah, if we walk in with judgment and criticism and accusation, functionally, regardless if it's right or wrong, because that's... Functionally. That's, yeah, functionally, because I think that's, that would be rolling around in my mind if I was hearing this for the first time. It's like... It's like, but I'm right, but, but they need to stop drinking, but, but like, I'm correct. And it's like, yeah, but functionally, the way that you're expressing what you see to be right is actually creating the opposite result that you're seeking in your intervention, in your judgment, in your criticism, in your lecturing, in your intensity, you are getting the result, the opposite result that you actually want. Yes. And so MI isn't saying you need to rethink. He probably has just as good of an understanding of this problem as you do. It's, it's not necessarily making a truth claim that they're probably the expert. You're probably not. It's, it's more that the way to approach this um, isn't from a place of arrogance, isn't from a place of judgment or criticism. If you approach it from a different way, you might get the result you're actually looking for. Would you say that differently or what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think that process of it. And I think the thing that fascinates me, like looking at the Gottman method and, and, so many things that we know that are more effective in working with couples or in families, when I run it through my motivational interviewing lens or through the way that I see things is that like when I work with couples, the thing that it, it is the same thing, it's the antithesis of the, the, the bats is what I tell them. And even when I've done group um, work uh, with couples and relationships, I said, if you think we're gonna sit knee to knee and you get to talk to the person about what your issues are, that's not going to happen. Yeah. What is going to happen is as soon as your behavior, as soon as all of your behaviors are above reproach, then you get to point out the faults in your partner. But until your behavior is above reproach, you need to be, we're going to work on you working on that. Hmm. And then once you're, once you're perfect, then you get to point out the faults in the other person. Which will and, never happen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So it just, and, and what ends up happening is you have two human beings that are working on being healthier mm. and they have a base connection anyway, a base, you know, adoration or love or, or, you know, this bond. And now as you're seeing somebody get healthier and healthier, I always compare this as a therapist. I always compare this to physical health because it's harder mm. for us to see emotional and mental health and spiritual health, but from a physical health, whether you believe in it or not, I think there's an aspect of evolution that it's just like, we find attractive things attractive. Sure. 
people that are mentally healthy can be attractive, even if they're not particularly physically healthy or look physically attractive to us. If they're spiritually healthy, we start to become more and more attracted to those things. So healthy is attractive. And so what I think of is if there's this common bond and your partner, if your partner was working out more and more and doing marathons and had eight pack abs and was, you know, just really looking phenomenally good. It's like, I want to be with this person. Now you take the dimensions of that and add that to emotional and mental health and usually evolution of spiritual health as well too. And if two individuals that are already married or partnered are in that relationship and increasing, I guarantee the quality of their relationship is going to improve, not by working through, there are always going to be issues in relationships. Mm-hmm. You don't need a therapist to go through all those issues. What you do need to do is what is going to be our schema or our model or a method for how do we work on being the best version of ourselves? If you are getting healthier as an individual, you're going to communicate more effectively. Mm-hmm. And the less you blame, the less you're going to have fights, mm-hmm. period, relationship or not. Mm-hmm. The less you blame people, the less people are going to fight with you. Mm. Yeah. It's powerful. It is. It's, it is. It's transformative. And it's, it's a shift. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's so different than what we tend to think from a psychotherapeutic perspective or from a family dynamics perspective. And I don't dismiss any of those, but I think the more you look at brain science and, and you look at interpersonal relationships, it, and, and this is, this is why my obsession with this whole model around, you know, motivational learning is so strong is because it's like, we tend to want to focus outside of ourselves when we get stressed and we start to struggle, we want to find something to blame. Mm. So when you have somebody that's, this goes all the way back to your initial question. So when somebody comes in to try to convince me, I get to set my internal struggle to the side and roll up my sleeves and go, okay, let's go. And it's like, I don't have to deal with this anymore because now I just got to blame you for me being so frustrated and angry and upset right now. So I can channel all this ambivalence and channel it into, into you know, taking you on as you're trying to take me on. Yeah. Well, so we're in this process of like, I like your analogy with the, with the couple stuff because it's like, Maybe if both people were moving towards health for themselves and then being supportive of the other person as they're moving towards health in a way that didn't inspire defensiveness, aggression, that wasn't characterized by blame or criticism. Like, so what's the alternative here? I guess is the question. So what is this like accepting, you know, kind of environment that actually does encourage positive change? How would you start to characterize that? Well, for me, and this is why I apply this, I, you know, there's a point in your life, I think you, you've, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, too, is there's, there's points where you move from theory to am I going to practice what I preach? Hmm. Do I do, do I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely believe the things that I teach or the way that I operate? Do I, am I willing to do this with my own children? Am I willing to do this in my own relationship? Do I genuinely believe this? And can I do it in a way that's that I'm not raising my child in a Skinner box, uh, sure. you know, we're not, you know, that it's like, okay, we're going to do this experimenting on them. Yeah. Perfect labor, your uh, laboratory experiment. But what it comes down to for me in the relationship side of it, and as an individual side of it is my basic reset button is, is my behavior in alignment with my values. Hmm. And if I'm angry and upset, if I'm raising my voice to my children, that in and of itself, my behavior is not in line with what my values are. Hmm. If I am pointing out the faults in my partner, my behavior is not in line with what my values are. Hmm. So my reset button is always until I'm above reproach, I don't get to point those things out. We're still human and those things are going to come up, but the level of, of kind of get myself reset is so much more quick, like within minutes of going, yeah, that, that video of myself I just watched is not impressive to me. 
-hmm. That is not who I see myself as being. And I was just that way. And I need to own that. And then next time I need to make sure that I need to do the work I need to, to not have that happen again. How could you not think a relationship would flourish if both people are operating that way? Mm. Yeah. If both people are just saying, I'm going to continue to be the better version of myself. And every time that you roll over and see that person, they're continuing to get healthier and healthier and healthier. What it makes you want to do is it's going to spark to one of two things, fear and jealousy, because they're becoming a person that not only do you want, but maybe they're moving above you or beyond you. And that's going to create panic. Or you're like, oh, this is what I've been looking for in a relationship. As they're getting better, it inspires me to work harder and it's inspiring them to work harder. I, I can't think of a more optimal relationship than that. That, that and maybe yeah. that's just my bias. Well, but what about when the other person's not trying to go for all that self-improvement? They're just, they're still drinking. They're still looking at porn. They're still, you know, whatever. And yeah. I'm over here trying to, like you're saying, trying to center my behavior and my values, trying to do the right thing, trying to not be judgmental, but they, they're not doing anything. What do I do? Yeah. Have conversations about is your behavior in line with your values, not is your oh, behavior in line with Okay. So that's actually the, the premise. The premise isn't you need to change this, this, and this. The premise is the whole conversation I'm approaching them on is, is your behavior in line with your values. And that's going in with an underpinning of trust that they're probably ambivalently probably see the pros and cons of their behavior yes. already. And maybe if I can arrange the conversation to me more about, are you feeling internally consistent, not from a place of judgment, but from a place of warmth, then that's probably the better environment. Would you say that? Yeah. And, and think about this, Matthias, if, if, if we're laying on the hood of our car, holding hands under the stars, you know, having a glass of wine and talking about life and are we going to stay together forever? Where did that go now that you're drinking every day and ignoring the children? It, it's not about what, what I'll start with is you promised me, you said, I, that is probably one of the most common statements yeah, in yeah. marriage is, well, you said, well, you said, well, you said, because we want to hold accountability to that. What it is, is there, it goes back to that tone of curiosity and it's not a feigned tone of curiosity. Mine is a genuine tone of curiosity of where did that, I'm just curious where that went. Hmm. You know, I'm just curious where that went. Like when we're laying there holding hands, looking at the stars, saying how we're going to create a life together. How does drinking every night, not coming home, how does that fit for you? Yeah. It doesn't matter how it fits for me. I'm just curious how that fits for you when we're laying there having that conversation. And that's a very different question than coming right out and saying just like, you lied to me back then. When you said you wanted, you know, a, a, a life together full of flourishing and you drink and obviously you don't want that life full of flourishing because if you did, you wouldn't be drinking. Very, very different approach versus right. saying, hey, like, I know that this has been a dream of ours since the very beginning. I know that drinking a lot is, has been kind of like our pace for the past five, 10 years. How does that fit into that dream? How do, as you reflect on how those dreams, you know, fit together, what comes up for you? Totally. And with actual warmth, with actual, totally. like, because you're That's not exactly lying it. there. You're not no. pretending because you're not talking about your own emotions. You're not talking no. about your own thoughts and feelings about that. And I do love this person or I wouldn't be partnered with them. Right, right, right. So why wouldn't I be coming? And, and when I watch that video on the big screen of myself, I think that is an individual that has integrity. Hmm. That is an individual who is so solid in who they are. They don't have those, the American codependency tendencies that this relationship is 50, 50 and, and you're ruining our relationship and you're ruining our marriage. And which is normal. All I'm going to keep saying is that is normal. We have been trained. We've been programmed that that's normal. Hmm. It's just not healthy. There is a difference between normal and healthy. The norm 
is to have codependent relationships and to have these kind of fights and to hold these resentments. And, and when somebody says, yeah, you promised me you wouldn't drink, which gives me permission to pull out this abacus out of my back pocket and go, oh yeah, well, here's all the things you promised me. Like, yeah, literally, this, that's, that's where the conversation will go regardless. <laughs> because, and that's like a catchphrase of mine. It's just like, we're not gonna solve this by correctly understanding where to put the blame. Right. Like, cause that is a rabbit trail that will only lead yes. us to being more resentful yes. and more angry because you and I will weigh the wounds in different yes. ways. And, and of course, like, it's just, that's how contempt works is we start to downgrade, um, our, our own, uh, violations in the relationship. We're very quick to see that we had good intentions. We didn't know there was a context around the decisions we made. Like we didn't mean to, that's not a pattern indicative of my character. That's just an exception. But then the other person, when they make a mistake, when they break a promise, it's that's because of who they are. That's yes. because you've always been like that, or you're always yes. going to be like that. And yes, <laughs> right. That's the natural psychology of where that conversation goes. But but you're proposing that we take a totally different approach to starting that. My understanding of the way I look at the world has changed. So, mm. and that's that I see that as being very effective for me personally. And I see it very effective for the people that I work with. Um, mm. I see it very effective for the people that I train. Um, yeah. Professionals that I train. It's well, that's interesting too, because I know that you do a lot of training with cops in particular yes. in, in de-escalating um yes. confrontational circumstances yes. where people could get hurt where there could be casualties um yes you functionally are doing probably more to like lower police brutality than most because you're actually going right. in there and tr giving skills to these police officers to de-escalate in a really evidence-based really pragmatic way but my guess is that when you're first proposing this idea to a cop you know like hey we're actually going to take this from a place of non-judgment that's got to be a hard pill to swallow uh, well it's next to impossible. Ironically, <laughs> my first thing, my first thing this morning I had was to consult with a group who's going to be training officers in New York. Um, and this group of, from the university, they'd called and said, Hey, we know you do this work. Would you be willing to talk to us and give us some insights? We're going to train them. And I'm like, have you trained anybody in corrections or, you know, prison systems or anything? They're like, no. And I said, there's multiple things you need to be aware of because it is a separate culture. Law enforcement is a very distinct mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. Um, and the, the, and the thing about that even is, Matthias, when you think about this, it's not even just the de-escalation because they get trained in de-escalation all the time that can be effective. It's, are we trying to affect change? So mm. yeah, you can be de-escalated, but just because you de-escalate them doesn't mean they're not gonna hit their wife again next weekend when they get drunk. Mm. So the de-escalation is not it. And that's why I get obsessed with behavior change beyond the, how do we reduce the tension yeah, we can reduce the tension, but reducing tension doesn't change the behavior. For me, this goes all the way back to the crux of your initial question of, do we sit there flat footed and accept status quo? No, we mm. are trying to facilitate behavior change, but the facilitation for behavior change comes from when an individual gets clear, is this who I am? What are my deeper values? Is drinking every day and ignoring my spouse and my children, is that, my is that who I wanna be? And if I can take an honest assessment and tell you, Matthias, my partner, and say, yes, that's where I really want to be, that I, I really don't want to engage with my family, my values are to be self-centered, my values are self-destruction now, this is what I'm shifting towards, that's an informed choice on your part. Yeah. But, but that's not what happens. Hmm. What people are is, well, I do this because, yeah. well, I know I want to quit, but you don't understand. So what you know when those statements come out is you know that ambivalence has to exist within their when within their experience. They have mm. to, they are feeling two ways about it. Mm.
So. Yeah, I think that's a really, yeah, that's a really clear and powerful way to put it. It's not that we're in, we don't care about behavior change or that we don't care about what they do. Yeah. And oh, who are we to you know one way or the other to have an opinion about it? It's if we're going to work towards behavior change, it's got to be connected to their values because not only that is that the most long-lasting change. Because like you said, I mean, just because you de-escalate, you know, a guy that's beating up his wife one week doesn't mean he won't do it the next. It's right. Okay, are the kind of interventions that I'm using, are the kind of ways that I'm trying to intervene connected to their values um, based on some mutual respect that they probably have an understanding of the problem and they probably actually have the best idea about how to solve their own problem. And then my activity in that is to reinforce and help that in a positive way um, exactly so that it. it can end in lasting change. Would you summarize it like that or would you alter Absolutely. That and, and, and the thing that I'd add to that thought process is what I have the capacity to do in my role, not being in their brain, is I have the choice of where I breathe life. I have the choice of where I let sunshine shine mm. in the conversation. I have choice of where I let oxygen breathe and flow. So I can go into, you really feel stressed and overwhelmed, and that's the reason you drink. I can also choose to put oxygen on. You know, there's part of that thinks about this and really wants to be a better father. And there's days you feel bad about that and you wish it was different. Yeah, this was such a huge insight. Um, sorry to cut you off. It, it was, I, I'm so excited about that because I remember in, in our training, you you listing that out. It's like, okay, you have a guy. Let's say let's say that it's this drinking you know analogy of, um, hey, you know, I I know that I know that getting drunk is wrong, and I know that kind of, you know, the stuff with my wife probably isn't great, and she deserves better. But like, I've just tried so many different things. I've tried everything that I can think of. This is maybe just who I am. It's like, if you think about it, there's two propositions in that yeah. statement. There's two pieces of information. There's the, yes. I want to change. Hey, this isn't yes. who I am. This isn't, I know that she doesn't, she deserves better. And then there's the, but I've tried everything and nothing works. Right. And then you have a choice of what of to shine light on. To. That's exactly it. Yep. Yep. Because when you hear that and for people to play that out, for people that are watching to play that out, what I can choose to say is because you really do want to be a better husband. You're in, yeah. you, you, you look at yourself, you think, I want to step up more. I want to be there. I wanted to make the right decisions and, and contribute the way that I've always wanted. But when I was 10 years old, this is not the relationship I thought I was going to have. I wanted to have something that was ideal. Mm. And that's what, you want to, that's what you want to learn to focus on and, and get out of the rut and figure out how do I get one foot in front of the other and become the man that I want to be. Mm. That's all my choice of focus. And I, because I could just as easily say, you know, the drinking is causing problems. And, and it's going to make your relationship worse. And you can see it's making your relationship worse. And the more it makes you worse, the more stress you're getting. And the more stress you get, the more you want to drink. I can reinforce all that oxygen on that yeah, side. Yeah, there's so many pieces of what they said that you can highlight. That's exactly You, you could also highlight the, you know, the resistance or the sustain talk. Or we'll, we'll get into what that is in a minute. But, you know, the part where he says, like, hey, well, I've just tried everything I can think of. And you could say that. You could be like, yeah, you've tried everything. And you feel really discouraged because, well, nothing seems to be working. But notice how the conversation is going to continue after that, because I mean, whatever you respond to, deeper and deeper. Exactly, whatever you respond to in that statement, because there's maybe two or three different claims within that sentence. Whatever you respond to, he's going to elaborate on. He's going to continue to think about, and that's actually the strategic part of a reflection or the strategic part of a response. It's not I'm going to share my opinions and tell you, hey, you really need to man up. Like, how can you call yourself a man? Yada yada yada. Because that's yeah. going to just create defensiveness. If I come at him yes. and just like, you're a terrible excuse of a man, what's he going to say? He's just going to punch me in the face. you know. Exactly. <laughs> but, but if I say, it sounds like, man, if you had some better strategies that you'd really leap up to it. Because you see, you see that she deserves better than that. But the really, the thing that's holding, been holding you back is that you feel like you haven't found something that works. That so is a totally different strategy. That works for you. 
that's what you want to do is find something that'll work. Yeah. Because you've tried everything else. And that's why you're kind of open to listening. Is there another way to do this? Exactly. That's a huge, that's a huge responses. Yeah. (laughs) And it's effective data research shows that is really, really effective Mm -hmm. because what we reflect, this is where you're talking about reflective listening, whatever we reflect, people tend to talk more about. Why do they talk more about it? Because they know that's what we're listening to. So if it's going to be an interpersonal dynamic, this is where our influence comes in to what you were talking about is if it's going to be an interpersonal conversation and you're telling me where your stress is, if you tell me, um, yeah, this weekend, um, you know, my wife and I were going to go on a walk and then we're going to have friends over and then we have game night and then we just like to have our alone time um, on Sunday nights when we wrap up. If I reflect back to you, you know that alone time on Sundays with just you and your wife is a chance to just kind of relax. You're not going to tell me about how you're having friends over tomorrow. Right. Yep. You're going to reflect on because you know I'm listening to that part of it. And so you want to explain and give me more data around that. Mm-hmm. So we know that there's power in what we choose to hold up in how we respond to people. Mm-hmm. This is why this moves so far beyond even as therapists, you know, you and I as therapists, it moves beyond even just holding up reflections. The mm-hmm. reflections can be powerful, but there's also something about strategically what are we reflecting and what are they seeing in the mirror? Mm-hmm. And they want to talk about some of the things or they want to explain or defend things they see in the mirror. Yeah. That's the power of strategic reflection. And if you're lost on the term reflection there, if that's not familiar, a reflection is just a summary of what they said. You're just, in your own words, you're just saying back what you heard them say. And what we're talking about is typically there's three or four, maybe 10 pieces of information in a statement. And we get to choose what to reflect. And when we strategically highlight the thing that needs attention, they're going to expound on that. And that's actually how we can have a hand in guiding the conversation. Again, that's not like determining what they're going to think or determining what they're going to say. They can take that conversation anywhere they want to go. We have no control about that. But we at least help them think about that thing. And that's, that's what's beneficial about it is maybe this thing needs some attention. Maybe we've been avoiding this piece. Let's explore that a little bit more. But again, that's, that's up to the other person. That's hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that's interesting about this is because I started talking about people had told me about the show, what not to wear. And <laughs> yeah, they yeah. said, you, as you talk strategic reflections, they said they have these mirrors all the way around the room. And it's until the person sees themselves at a specific angle, they're like, wait a second, that doesn't look as good on me as I thought. Mm-hmm. But how many, how many different mirrors did it have to take till they caught the right angle? that's strategically holding mirror up. So we're not just regurgitating words because so many people make fun of reflective listening saying, mm-hmm. oh, you're just regurgitating words or you're just- you Yeah, it sounds so therapist to talk like. It exactly. therapist sounds so talk. stale exactly. and fake. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, yeah. But to break off a piece of the mirror and hold it in an angle where somebody didn't see that they had spinach in their teeth, that is strategic. Mm. That's not just a full length mirror. That's just, you're holding it at an angle where they go, oh my God, I've got spinach in my teeth they see it and they want to correct it that's a strategic reflection instead of just holding it up and they're like yeah i've seen myself every day when i get ready why are you holding this mirror up that's just a generic that's the passivity that i think that there's that i'm a little worried if i don't do anything but reflect that i'm not doing anything it's like well if that's all you're doing you really aren't doing anything there's no strategy behind that you're just kind of reflecting status quo Mm. what we're doing that's way more active is where do you want energy put and the energy should not be yours. This is like becoming a master martial artist. Why am I using all my energy to convince you, which mm-hmm. is still arrogant, but why am I using all this energy to convince you when you've got so much energy inside of you, yeah. I would rather adapt that and adjust 100%. that for using it to your best interest. That's such a good analogy. It's like, cause they have all this motivation in themselves. That's why it. Why not just use that? Yeah. That's it. So when you're and talking, let's use, 
Oh, sorry. Sorry. But um, I was going to say, let's use another example just to kind of maybe give a three-dimensional view of this. So for yeah. people, because this is the first time many people are probably hearing this, like this is a, I know for me, this was a paradigm shift and it was kind of hard for it to click into place perfectly. Let's take the kid in the homework. So a parent is like really frustrated at the kid for not doing their homework. This is like the 20th time that they said they did their homework, but they lied about it. They like, they said it did it. They, uh, like you actually look in the backpack, the homework wasn't done. They just said that to get rid of video games and they're trying to defend themselves. How would you approach a situation like that? You mean with my twin 13 year olds every single day? Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I totally yeah. prophesied into your situation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I have a little bit of experience on this one. Um, one of the things that happens that is powerful is one, you need to, that as you look at the horizon from their eyes, there's things that they may not be seeing or they're ignoring. So this is part of the thing we're talking about, where do we put oxygen? So when you have that situation, like a homework situation, it's a matter of being clear of like homework, you don't want to do the homework. You've been at school all day and to come home and have to do homework it sucks. Nobody wants to do that. Mm -hmm. And there's another part of it that, Every weekend you like going to the mall and having money in your account from your allowance and knowing that if that doesn't get done, you won't get the allowance. That's one of the things you're thinking, God, is it worth doing it tonight or not? And you know what? You get to decide that. Mm. You can decide if you get the things, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like we go on vacations during the school year sometimes. And if the if grades aren't where they need to be, that's just something you know that will stick to the rules that you you won't get to go. Um, but again, you get to decide if you do your homework or not. That's that's not for me to decide. I'm not gonna sit over you every night and say, Do you have homework? Do you have homework? Do you have homework? That's something you get to decide. Does that line up with who you want to be? Do you like having allowance? Do you like being able to take those, that, those timeouts during the school year? Do you want to just take your own mental health days during the, the school year where it's like, hey, I've got straight A's. I just got a lot on my plate right now. I want to take the day off. Mm. You have the right to do that if everything's in, in alignment. Or you can just leave your homework and not have to deal with it. So, you know, those are things you get to decide who you want to be. But dad, I couldn't do the homework because I had cheer competition and then I went to the friend's house and I was like, I didn't have any time to do it. I couldn't get it done. I know because you're so overwhelmed because your your hands are involved in so many different things and now you're trying to figure out do I learn how to manage my time better or do I just let it overwhelm me and all of a sudden everything falls apart um, and there's there's things we could talk about to help with that but I'm not even sure if that would be helpful for you right now. Well, I just feel like there's nothing I can do. I just feel like there was no way I could have got it all done. Yeah, and so if you could find a way to get it done, that'd be your best case scenario. If there was a way to manage your time differently that you hadn't thought about, you don't want to hear it from a parent and you don't want to hear it. But there's, you know, the way you love TikTok and other things, there's probably things on there on how to manage time better that you you know that somebody out there has figured a way to do this. Because there's kids that you know that get straight A's um, and have all these things going on and manage that. You just haven't got the quite the right formula down. But if you could get that formula down, that would be your best case scenario. Boom. Watching the master work right here. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I just had a lot of practice. That's, yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. You just practice it every day. Yeah, exactly. well, that's so that's in I think another another part of that is maybe someone listening to that will go like, oh, gosh, I don't know how to say all that in the moment. I don't know how to think of all that so quickly, so fast. Yes. It's like because what we saw in that example was you were really representing both sides. You could think of the teeter totter like you were kind of jumping on both sides of the teeter totter form. You were saying like, yeah, you're really overwhelmed. You got a lot of things going on and you're trying to decide, do I lean into some strategies to better organize my time and to be more effective there? Or do I let it all overwhelm me? Right. Like, it's not obvious that that's a choice they're making to them in the moment, but it is. And you're highlighting that, but without judgment, you're not saying you're not organizing exactly your time it. correctly. You're not being serious about getting it all together. That's exactly it, Matthias, because it is the absence of the judgment part. And that I can tell you getting better at strategically listening is it takes some effort, but I will tell you what gets you better at that is when you get yourself out of the way, when mm. your opinion is involved, 
it is so hard to have the tone of voice and to have the mental dexterity to be able to have conversation like that and have it a flowing conversation where it's not like, okay, time out. What did you just say? Yeah, but you want to really be better <laughs> in school, don't you? Like, I mean, yeah. like to have that fluid dialogue, the thing that frees your mental capacity up to do that is to just work off of, I, honestly, my mantra, <laughs> one of my <laughs> mantras in doing this is they don't care what you think. Your children mm. don't care what you think. Yeah, Your children don't care what you think. And it's like, damn, they don't really care what I think. Like <laughs> yeah, they don't. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, oh, well, why do I care what I think when I'm going to my conversations? Because if I do, all it's going to do is generate resistance and tension and discord. And I don't want to generate that. I would rather perpetuate a deeper level of ambivalence inside of them. And it doesn't mean that they run and do their homework, but I guarantee that their brain thinks differently after that conversation than if I wouldn't have had the conversation, which is why it's not a passive approach. It's a very active approach. Yeah. It's just a very different approach. And it's really hard to get defensive when you're not being accused. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you're totally right. It has to be genuine. Because if the tone of voice is sarcastic or as any sort of like, yeah, it, uh, condescending, exactly. Or like pedandering kind of thing. It's, yes. it's really offensive. It is. And, and I think for people listening that kind of want to try some of this, you can kind of expect that people are going to react a little bit differently to you. Yes. And, and initially, I remember when I started doing this with my wife right after your workshop, she was so irritated. She, she was like, stop, what are you doing? Like, like, cause she's used to, and then here's the aha moment. Banter. She's used to me responding in judgment. Yes. She's grown accustomed to me. Yes. Voicing criticism. And that's yes. actually the thing to highlight now. Not as, oh, this doesn't feel authentic. This doesn't feel real. This doesn't feel natural. That means I need to leave it behind. It's, it's no, actually anything that I'm learning that's new is going to feel clunky and, and unnatural. If I was trying to learn how to shoot a free throw, uh, play guitar, it's not going to feel natural. Exactly. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not authentic. What's authentic yes. is what's connected to my values. And maybe yes. you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, I've been approaching the people I love with so much judgment. That's not yeah. connected to my values. And this is going to feel clunky. It's going to feel strange. And even if I'm called out on it, I got to just respond. Hey, I think I, well, well, yeah, I know that does sound weird. It sounds like I'm therapizing you. I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying to take the judgment out of what I'm saying. Yes. And I don't know how to do that. I think I'm trying to learn how to do that. But I'm trying to actually appreciate that you've probably thought through this before. And I, I haven't always known that. Well, and, and Matthias, the, the thing that I think about too with this, it, it's partly where my, well, it's predominantly where my obsession with this kind of communication and understanding human dynamics and growth and transformation comes from is as difficult as it is to, to communicate that way, it comes down to what do you want? You, mm. what do you want in your life? I want healthy relationships. I want to be a healthy parent. I want to be an exceptional partner. That's what I want. And if you would take that same amount of energy, if I wanted to, even at my age, if I wanted to have eight pack abs, I could actually have eight pack abs at my age. Mm -hmm. It would probably be to the exclusion of almost everything else in my life to actually pull that off. Hours and but hours could, of training. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Every day, stop drinking wine, you know, all the things I love. <laughs> but if I wanted it that bad, I could achieve that if that was my goal. And in my life, there's few things that I found that I want more than to be a better professional, a better friend, a better partner, a better parent. And this method, being able to communicate effectively makes me better in all of those areas. And so that's my obsession. So I work out for that as hard as I'd work out if I wanted eight pack apps. So when people say, yeah, that's just going to be hard. I'm like, oh my God, that it's, it's, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's what do you want for the end result of that? And whatever you want from the end result of that, that's how hard to work to get there. Mm, so good. 
Um, that's so good. I, the thing that came to mind in, in this as you were speaking too is, well, what about though when the person you're trying to convince maybe doesn't see it as a problem? As in like, like an example that came to mind for me is maybe um, I was just working with a few clients this week around New Year's resolutions and that maybe they have like a new thing that they're trying to do. They're trying to eat healthier. They're trying to cut carbs or maybe they're trying to cut sugar and they really want their partner to join them. Like they want their partner to not eat pizza too. And when they order a pizza and they're eating it on a Saturday night watching movies and they're just sitting there with like their calorie free, no salt popcorn. It's a huge bummer. It's like, it sucks. <laughs> and so you're trying oh, yeah. to be like, Hey, join me at the gym. Join me eating healthy. Join me veganism, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you navigate that conversation? Cause what we're talking about is, Hey, people probably have an understanding that, that, that there's, that there's some change that needs to happen. We just kind of need to help them along. What about when there's no understanding of that? Well, the, the potency and change is from building a sense of personal agency. It, it, it's, it, it, this is so complex. I, I always look at this through a cultural lens as well, too. Our mainstream American culture is so about codependency. It just is. Mm. It's, just what we, it's just what we preach. It's just what we believe in. It's why Meg Ryan had a career. It's why Tom Hanks has it. It's why <laughs> Billy Roberts has it. It's why they all have careers. It's because of the delusion of this deep level of codependency mm. that we have that, that makes true love happen when you think from the healthiest lens, again, I go back to that kind of health and attractiveness is on a certain strength and a personal agency and self-efficacy to see someone that's so strong in their independence and they choose to be interrelated with somebody else. That is just a profound relationship to witness Two really strong, healthy individuals that just have this profound, infinite respect and trust with each other to have their full th th uh, thriving lives and to come together and flourish together and to be able to go out and experience life and come back and flourish. I mean, that mm -hmm. to me, that looks like just a phenomenal relationship. Mm -hmm. And But what we tend to want to do is kind of lock arm in arm and do all these things together because that's what we've been trained to do, that that's what a, a good, healthy, loving relationship mm -hmm. is. But the, the fact that the level of depth of growth that you have in transformation, that irrespective of your environment, that you can eat the no-salt popcorn and just go, God, this is making me who I want to be. Mm. And people are eating pizza and drinking their beers and doing all the things they want to, and good on them. They're mm. enjoying life the way, want, the way they want to, but I am going to be the version of myself that I see my step back and I see this person, I think, I am so impressed with how, who that human being is. I want to be friends with them. Mm. I want to date them. Like, they're amazing. That's the kind of person that I want to be which means that I'm going to eat my popcorn and enjoy it. And it's not the best thing in the world, but I know the end result that's going to get me. And I know I'm working towards who I want to be. Would it be easier mm. if my partner joined me? Of course it would be, but do I need them to? Absolutely not. Mm. They, they have their journey and things that they're working on. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So you would challenge the paradigm. You would just say, Hey, yeah, you're moving towards health in your way. They're going to move towards what's about valuable for them and theirs and in their timing. And, and what we know will happen is what people do is you start to climb that mountain is sometimes partners that want to throw a rope around your leg and pull you back down. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that to me is more the irony around status quo is the desire to pull somebody down that we love versus kind of boost them up in their process. That's because an interesting that's, thing to highlight because that's, that's common. Like this secondary gain kind of dynamic is what it's often called where um, you're eating healthy. That makes me feel judged because yes. I'm eating the pizza next to you and I feel guilty or I feel like yes. judged because I'm eating it and you're eating this popcorn. And then, so I'm going to try to offer you some, I'm going to actually try to antagonize. Just a bite. bite. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make fun of your new dance class and say that it's silly because I don't want to go to the gym. That's it. And so you're saying that part of this is 
we have to get out of this model of like we need to be 100% aligned in every single thing because that's there's a codependent nature to how we conceive relationships that's just not yeah. healthy. But on the other end, how do you how do you kind of confront those secondary gain features? What comes to mind for you? That's exactly it. And, and the thing is, is it's what you just articulated is so perfect for what ends up happening because when my BK, when I'm eating the pizza and you're eating healthy and that guilt comes up, then it's like, I don't want to feel this. So what am I going to do? I'm going to start the fight mm-hmm. because I don't want to feel this, That it's wow. like, oh yeah. my God, you saw, why are you doing this? Like they're able to sit there and eat the popcorn and why are you shoving pizza in your face? That's a guilt thing. Oh, I know what I can do. Oh, how's that popcorn taste? This pizza sure is good. Yeah. Like, you know, so anything to tempt or taunt them so I can generate this energy here so I don't have to feel this. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. People don't like to feel this. So what do we want to do? We want to drop this and focus on something outside of ourselves. Yeah. So, wow. It's, it's so if same. anything, those secondary gain things as they come up, that's actually evidence of ambivalence. That is exactly it. That's actually potentially exactly. an in for you guys to connect and have a conversation. Because perhaps, I mean, not always, but perhaps there's something in their value structure that's being challenged. There's a part of them, maybe faint, a part of them is like, ah, oh, gosh, maybe I shouldn't be eating this whole pizza by myself, <laughs> you know, or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I should be doing that too. Or, or, or there's just the judgment and that actually needs to be aired out. And that's exactly it. And then using and these think about the healthiest thing you'd see in that scenario, what you would see in that, what I believe. So this is always my self-centered perspective on it. But in looking at that movie and watching it, it'd be the spouse that says, "Hun, why am I eating this pizza? And go ahead and put it on the counter and sit down and then eat it out of the popcorn bowl with them. Mm. That you'd look, if that's you watch dream. that movie, if you watch that movie, you'd think, God, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Is that, but what we watch is, hey, how's that popcorn taste? Rah, 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 rah. You know, right. that, that's what we tend to see because that's normal. Or on the other end, shaming the other person for the pizza. And then the other person puts the pizza down just out of appeasement and out of bitterness. Absolutely. And that's not connected to values. That's just, that's just not wanting to start a fight and not wanting to feel awkward. And, and that's not what you want. That wouldn't actually warm your heart either. No, but it's what it truly is. I, the thing I always defer back to is that it is what we have been trained to do. It mm-hmm. is what we've been trained to call love. And it's like, that is, it is so backwards and bizarre that that's what we call love. Well, I just do that to you because I love you. How you and I as therapists know the messages that parents give to their children. Well, yeah, I just hate yeah. you because I love you. Well, you know, the only reason I tease you is because I love you. And it's like, oh, so the only reason I abuse you is because I love you. And we buy that narrative as love mm, wow. um, until there's a point where we think, okay, now that's getting abusive. And it's like, well, if we rewind the tape, a lot of that's abusive. It's just, this is the point that you're actually causing significant noticeable damage to the individual. All these little bites that you're taking out of them, they're causing all sorts of kind of little T trauma of that kind of chronic complex trauma. Mm, powerful. Well, so another circumstance that came up. So that what about when you really do have like a negotiation where you're trying to team up? Let's I think partnerships a good context to consider these things in like cleaning, cleaning the house. Yeah. And the agreement is we don't leave our socks on the floor. The agreement yeah. is you do the dishes on Thursdays and they're not. They're forgetting. And then yeah. the common trap everyone falls in is nagging. It's just like I'm going to remind you incessantly. I'm going to remind you critically. Yeah. And then they're going to get really irritated. They're going to push it off and they're going to like ignore it. And then you're just in this like really bitter, angry, contemptuous kind of system because, well, they said and they didn't and you re- did, you forgot and you didn't remember what comes to mind for you in that kind of circumstance. Every relationship that's ever existed. So yeah. that's the first yeah. thing that comes into my head. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, yeah, every, every, so, everything. But honestly, what I think of is because I work with so many organizations as well too, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's ironically not that much different. That's why I think the things that I learned and teach us, they're so transferable because what it comes down to with an organization, when I'm thinking about the partnership is what is our vision and what is our mission and what is our values? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing I think of in partnership. So, and, and here's the thing, one of the things that you heard me talk about quite a bit is when our behavior is not in alignment with our own values, we tend to blame outside of ourselves, or we tend to make excuses. So I know if I talk to you, Matthias, about your socks being on the floor, I know there's a likelihood you're going to snap at me. I know that. Mm-hmm. But what I also know is I know it's not personal because I know you're not where you want to be with your behavior. So this is where it's not condescending. It's not the sarcasm. It's not the looking down or being frustrated with. It's a matter of it's predictable and probable when I bring up the topic, you're going to snap at me a bit. And I know as your partner, I'm not going to take that personally because it's a, that's a normal human response. Hmm. So when you say, but blah, 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 blah. I've had a hard day and I haven't had time. And it's like, you know, you are stressed. And and when you're, and the, the whole thing is, it's just like best case scenario, the socks jerks weren't even on the floor. Whether you dropped them or picked them up or didn't, it's just like, I just wish the house was clean. That would be the best case scenario. Mm. And being being nagged about it is not going to help you pick up the socks mm. at all. When yeah. you want it, just the space to be able to breathe, I'll get them before the end of the night and just stay focused on one of our big things is we like having the house clean for the weekends. We just mm. love that. You know, so for whatever works for you, Matthias, with that, I know that's who you are. I know that's what you want to do. So you'll do it in your time when you want to. And just to call that out in a way that's non-threatening and non-judgmental and gives you space to acknowledge that it's been a rough week or you haven't had time to do it is like, I can totally get it done by the end of the night. Not because you commit to me, because as soon as I say, but can you promise me you'll get them picked up by the end of the night? That's going to have that compliance, you know, Mm -hmm. tone to it. But if it's just like, hey, I know that's who you want to be. I know that's where you want our apartment to be before you go to bed you'll figure it out. If you need anything from me, let me know because my socks are picked up and I've got some time. So just anything you need for me to support you in the process, mm-hmm. just let me know. So a cynical person might hear that and say, you're saying just let them walk all over you. Yeah. That, that would be the misunderstanding of, of what you're saying. So because that wouldn't be, the, that wouldn't be their behavior would not be in line with their values. They wouldn't be in a partnership with me if they wanted to walk all over me, ah. unless that's what we established out of the beginning. Mm-hmm. So even if they walk all over me and I'm the one who picks up their socks, that means honestly, if it happens because you come home and you're so stressed and you're so burned and I can just feel that and see that with you, me and a loving partnership is I'm going to pick up your socks for you hmm. because six out of the five out of the four out of the seven days, Matthias, you're picking them up. So, hmm. so those three out of the days that you don't, it's like, I can bend over and pick up the socks. It's not that big of a deal. And then you and I have a wonderful weekend. Great. But this, to me, that's what a healthier relationship is. Man, if it's so always cool. I'm doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause what you're saying is you're you're not i i think what, what I, i'm even just realizing this in my own life like i get so trapped in my head around what i deserve and what it is i'm owed and the score like in my yeah. just being honest like in my least <laughs> shining moments i'm like it's not fair i did it this night she's supposed to do it this night or like when she's telling me to pick up my socks i'm like gosh like like you know there's there's these places where i just zero in on my experience and what I'm owed and what should be okay. And I don't want to get walked all over and this isn't reciprocal and, and my needs. And I, then I don't pay attention to the context of where they're at. I don't pay attention to what's going on in their world and, and the why behind they might be doing that. And I'm quick to assume that they're just lazy. They're just taking advantage of me. They just don't care about me. They just don't, it's just not a priority for them. 
And so what you're saying is that whole paradigm is the thing that sets you up for the really destructive nagging kind of world. Yes. Um, and you're saying, and I cannot emphasize enough how normal that is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. We're not doing that whole that. narrative that you just said. Oh my God. I mean, that is just the most normal, <laughs> normal human thing to experience. And this is what I keep saying, but our mainstream American culture, it is normal to be grossly overweight. Mm. It doesn't make it healthy because it's normal. Just because right. we go, you know, golden crawl every Sunday night and everybody else is doing it doesn't mean it's healthy. It's yeah. not bad. It's not wrong. It's just not healthy. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. And so those thoughts and those reactions are very normal reactions. Mm. What I always think, and this is why I love this methodology so much for myself or this paradigm for myself is because it always is going to come down to me. And the most simple question of Jackson is your behavior in line with your values. Mm. Yes, yes or no. I don't care about how angry you are. I don't care how long your week was. I don't care how much they pissed you off. Is your behavior in alignment with your values? When you just watch that video of yourself, are you proud of it? Do you want to broadcast to the world? And if the answer is no, then straighten up and fly right or keep whining and complaining. It's your choice. Yeah. Who do you want to be? Yeah. And then also approaching your partner with kind of the good faith that they're probably trying to be the best version of themselves too. Absolutely. And that's where your response of just like, you know, in, in thinking, okay, well, how would I approach, you know, my, my husband or my wife on the socks left on the floor? It's not hey, you forgot, can you promise me to do it by the end of the day? Which seems innocuous enough, but say that 45 times over a course of a week and that'll exactly. be about as vicious as anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. you know, you say, hey, yes. I, know, I know that this is important to you too. Like we've talked about this. We've talked about yeah. ke keeping things clean. I know that we're both less stressed when things aren't dirty. I know that you got a lot of stuff going on in your world right now. So I'm wondering, like, what would, like, how would you put it? Would you say like, what would be most supportive to, to keep, you know, honestly, what I would say, I'd start off with that. And I'd also say, or do we just want to make a decision that we don't care? Ah, whoa. Okay. Interesting. Cause that's, it, that's, that's a genuine question. That's a genuine question because in organizations, you have to decide, is this still our vision statement? Is this still our mission statement? And, and I believe in vision and mission statements, even relationships. And for myself, I believe these things, yeah. not from a organizational perspective, but I think, how do I stay focused on what's really important to me? What's important to me and my mission statement is am I following through mm. on what I say is important to me and what my vision is. So we can readjust that. If you and I both say, it stresses me out to keep seeing your socks on the floor and then I find myself getting pissed and I don't want to get pissed at you because I love you. Or do I want to keep pointing out or do I want to keep picking them up? And it's like, mm, I don't like any of those narratives. Yeah. Like I just don't like those. Well, I, my preference would be just pick up your socks and we don't have to deal with it. But that's not reality for us right now. And I respect that you genuinely want to pick up after i believe that i believe you love the house clean like i love the house clean mm -hmm. <clears throat> but something's getting in the way of that so is that where we want to be do we want to find yeah. a different we want to stop going out to dinners on friday nights and pay somebody to come over and clean the house on fridays for us like what do what do if we don't Whoa. want to do that that's so that's so great sorry my mind's been blown i i think i need to i'm going to use this tonight but because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh because uh, yeah there's i've been leaving socks on the floor so it's um <laughs> It's cool because so you approach, you actually are starting from that value driven place of, hey, I know that you want to keep the house clean. I know that this is important to you too. I know that going to bed every night with the place totally like swept and feeling good is important to you too. Or am I misunderstanding that? It's actually, is that not front of your mind for you? Is you, you, Maybe you're just exhausting. You want to rest and you don't want to be thinking about cleaning stuff. It's okay for you to have dishes out. It's okay for you to have clothes on the floor. Let's just get that down straight first. Because then Absolutely. they might respond and be like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I'm, it's more for me to keep it clean too. I've just been exhausted with work lately. So it totally makes sense. And then your offer was pretty smart right off the fly. It's like, do we need to maybe not go on a date this week and pay someone to come clean? Or do we need to, uh, like, I wonder if like, 
you know, doing something in the morning first would just be easier. Like, like when do you think would be the easiest way to get this done? Because I know you want to as well, and and maybe I can yeah. partner with you in that. What would be the best way to arrange it? Maybe just this week until the project's done, I can help you with some of that, and then yes. afterwards um, we can jump back into our normal routine. What do you think? Is is that how you would approach it, or would you just absolutely? That a because on the flip side, because what where I don't want people that are listening to go to overcorrect is saying, well, then I end up being your therapist because I'm always taking care of you. If it's a true partnership on the flip side, then yeah. your conversations to me are, you know, I noticed that are like, there's less money in our account and we've talked about kind of how we're going to try to budget and stuff. And I, and I know that we both agreed to that and we both believe in that we need to budget because we want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, where have you been with the spending side of it, no attacks, no defense on it. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts? Well, I've had to buy all these things. And you know, like I said, it's predictable and probable they're going to blame outside themselves or make excuses. Mm. And after that happens, you go back around to, do we still both believe in this? Mm. Well, of course I do. And it's like, well, then is there anything I can do to support that? Or what? how can I be helpful? Or what are things that you've thought of to help mm. you get there? Mm. Because when I'm talking to you about the socks things, then there's days you're going to be talking to me about the budget things. Mm. That's, that's human relationship. Yeah. So there's days where I'm using the same way of being with you. And there's days that you're being using the same way of being with me. That is the nature of what a partnership should be. And that's why I keep saying the healthier those two individuals are independently, the less you have this, the whole thing tips over when there's a fight. And then the whole thing tips over when there's a fight. And then the whole relationship tips over when there's a fight. And it's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I, I can't sleep tonight. I'm not going to sleep here. I can't do this anymore. Mm. You know, when you have those conversations, it's just like, I, I just don't know if I want to do this. Are we meant to be together anymore? Mm. The same normal conversations that everybody has. Yeah. And that's more consistent when you're in this kind of, okay, we've just tipped over. Okay, we're going along. We're going to movies. Life is good. We had a good family time. Okay, it tips over again. It's just like, look how many times we've tipped over. Like, is this going to be the rest of our lives? I don't want to do this mm. the rest of my life. And we get into those, di- again, the yeah. Julia Roberts movies, it's the same things over and over and over again. Yeah. And this method is two people are getting healthier. When somebody tips over, the other person doesn't tip over with them. That's the absence of codependence. That's when you have yeah. interdependence. You tip over, I stand up, and then I lean over and say, hey, do you need help? Is there anything I can do to get you? And then you boost yourself up. And if you need a hand, I reach over and give you a hand and help you up. But I'm not going to reach over and let you pull me down. Mm. That's, that's not healthy. Mm. Wow. Yeah, well, so in the case of the budget, that's interesting. And the reason I'm following all these little side tangents is just I think the model makes the most sense when you get to hear it, you know, I kind agree. of used in context. It, it's it's easier for me, especially, like, to not keep it in just the abstract and make it practical, right? So that's why we're kind of tangentially running through all these little trails. But um, so with the budget thing, it's like perhaps you really do get to the end of the conversation where they just don't think that the house is as big of a deal as you do. And... And they're like, honestly, I'm fine living in an apartment. Like that was honestly where me and my wife was. It's like, I wanted to live in an apartment downtown. I just wanted to live on friends. That was kind of my vision for oh, uh, yeah. being an adult. <laughs> it was just like above a cool coffee shop. Like, I don't know. Like that was my fantasy of being yeah. a grown up. <laughs> but yeah. um, for her, it was, I want a house. I want a garden. I want to live in, you know, a place where we can raise kids and have room. And for whatever reason, my young, you know, 19 year old self was like, live in a suburb no thanks boring like (laughs) don't want to do that and so there was a clash in values and so how how do we negotiate what would it sound like to negotiate actually a clash in values because maybe let's say that she approaches me in a really warm way like we just described like hey like i know it's important for you to want to get a house i know it's important for you to want to save up for this too um i know that i I saw that you were spending a lot of money eating out and 
spend more money than our eating out budget really kind of allows for. And that means we have to take money out of our housing thing. But I know that's not what you want either. Well, I mean, what do you think? Is it still important to you? Do you think that eating out is actually more like something that's that we need to do more right now? Or do you feel like that money is supposed to be going to the housing budget? Do we think we need to renegotiate something or do, are you content with that? And then I respond and say, honestly, I think putting money for a house is kind of a waste. Um, I just kind of want to live our lives and have fun. Like, I just, I don't see why you even want a house anyway. This is not, not what I want at all. I just honestly would rather get to go hang out with our friends and eat. Okay. Then what? <laughs> well, th- th- this is where, I mean, this is a whole other topic. I know, I know, I know. So I'm going to try to keep it concise sure yeah this is you're just you're taking me to a whole different thing that i have a thousand thoughts on i want to keep it concise is sure sure is you need to be clear is what the the values are because some of the things that people think are value the way they articulate it is actually not a core value mm. um, so we both value how getting a house in the suburbs we both value those are not values what yeah you those value, are expressions of values that's exactly it and and what you do that's why your first part is exactly right on you want to get clear what the core value is we want to live a life where we're both feeling fulfilled. Mm. That is a value. We want to live a life where we're having integrity with ourselves and to each other. That's a value. Because yeah. living in the city or living in a suburb, for me, I would feel more fulfilled living in the city. And the other person says, I would feel more fulfilled living in the suburb because I want this. And, and so again, it's the expression of it, like you said, then you peel even that back further. So what about living in the city? I like the thought of being edgy. I like the thought of being kind of in the middle of the energy of that. And, and your, your partner is saying, yeah, and I like the thought of domesticity. I like the thought of gardening and having a yard and having people come over for dinner. And it's like, yeah, so what we both talk about is we want something that's like has this kind of where we're engaged with people and we're making a difference in the community, but we're non-traditional at the same time. Like, so if there's a way we could figure out how we're being non-traditional, but doing the things we both like to do, that's what we're looking at. Cause that's not city or suburbs. It's a matter of lifestyle. Mm. Because if we have kind of the wacky house on the block, that's painted different than everybody else. And you've got this crazy English garden in the front and we go traveling every weekend to, you know, around the world, does it matter where we live? Mm. It's like, well, maybe not as much. I mean, as long as we're doing those things that just make us feel like this is an expression of who I am mm-hmm. instead of what we think that's going to mean. What did we think it's going to mean if we're in the friend's apartment? What it mm-hmm. think we mean if we have the white picket fence in the garden mm-hmm. is not always what it means. We know this. <laughs> I yeah. do is put a video camera in any of those houses or apartments and well, they do. And that's reality mm-hmm. TV and it's entertaining, but and it's that's, not that's such a different. helpful pivot because what you're saying is hundred percent true. And that's actually what, my wife and I just discovered intuitively when we were arguing about that when we were 19 or 20 or whatever, it's like, okay, well, what's the desire underneath living in the city? What's the value underneath living at the house? And, and here's maybe how I would frame it in in alignment with what you just said is like, I know that, I know that, (laughs) that it's a value for you that we both get to live fulfilling lives. It's like, I know that for you, it's like, it's not just about, it's not just about the Matthias show. Like, I know that. I know that you're not just expecting that I just like pick up and like, you know, grab my bags on your train and that you get to make all decisions. Like, I know that's not what you want. You don't want me to, me to feel like some slave on your life 100%. adventure. And you really want, you have, you care about me. You care about what I want. You care about the dreams that I have. And you really want to make sure that those are reality too. That's why I trust you. That's why we're in a relationship. That's why I married you was because. That's exactly it. Because I think our dreams are so aligned. I think that we're going to yes. really have the funnest life together. Like, yes. And so really all we're talking right now strategy that's yes. it it's just strategy and we're thinking about a suburb thinking about a city like i wonder if when we have kids you know it makes the most sense to live in a suburb and then hey once the kids are out of the house let's go move like somewhere crazy in italy and just like live right in all the action like yes life's a bit long like i just wonder if 
if we kind of have this to and fro, if we have a rhythm for where we're living our lives, like, and that's kind of what we kind of do is like, before we had kids, we were living right in the middle of downtown, you know, and I was loving it and we didn't have parking and it was terrible. And then once kids were kind of on the horizon, we got the house and, but that was something I consented to. I didn't feel like I had to appease Paige. I didn't feel like I had to just do it so she wouldn't get angry. It's like, it's actually an expression of love. Yes. And that's what you want in a partnership. You want the places that you concede to be expressions of love, not places of resentment. This is it. And, And this is why when you say that, what you, what you realize it's more about the why than the what or the how it's not about you picking up your socks. Why, why, why? I mean, I truly, my little brain goes into two-year-old mode mm-hmm. and it works so effectively because it, when I'm thinking about this, it's like, but why, but why, but why, but why? Yeah. And what it gets down to is because we, you and I've talked about, we just don't like it when, when Monday comes around and the house is trash and we're starting the week. So it's not about your socks per se. And it's like, I, cause literally your brain is going to say, should I feel the same way? Mm-hmm. I, I can't stand it when we go into Sunday night and the house is trash and we haven't done anything. I hate that. And literally when you and I have the wide conversation, you go over and pick up your socks and then you pick up 15 other things just going, I can't stand it when my, even if I'm stressed, I can't stand this either because I know why I wanted to do this in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's not about the socks. It's not about the what or the how. If you can have the conversation about the why, and that doesn't feel like it's a therapeutic conversation. It feels like it's an intimate conversation. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's a respectful conversation mm-hmm. uh, not a not a confrontive or a, a demeaning conversation at all when mm-hmm. you get into those why questions yeah that's so good oh man I think I, I hope that for people listening it, it it settles in the way it did for me because what I found was when this really did click in my brain it made all my relationships more intimate yeah I agree. universally I agree it, it made them all far more um, att- attentive they felt better listened to by me and I knew directly when I messed up how to remedy it because I'm like, okay, how did I mess up? Like, ah, oh, I was really judgmental. I came off really intense. And, and I, I do in trauma therapy, I use something called internal family systems or IFS. And it's very much focused on parts, which functionally actually lines up with my really, really closely. It's, mm-hmm. it's looking at the diff- the two opinions, the different parts, the ambivalence within the person. They just kind of personify that they personify the two different parts. Right. And and kind of what I found even in my clinical practice is when I, when I appreciate what every part of me is really trying to get at, the, the opinion, the things that I'm wrestling with, when I appreciate those parts in other people, when I appreciate the ambivalence that people are going through, the perspectives internally that might be in conflict, but that both yeah. are fi- have a constellation of experiences that are leading up to them, people feel really like seen. It's like I'm holding all the complexity. I'm not pretending like we can just shove this all into my solution bucket and then it's going to work. Like, right. I'm, I'm actually trying to hold the complexity with you and people like him relax. I can take a, take a deep breath around you. It's, it's totally. And, and, and honestly, when you say that, isn't that the core of what relationship is? Yeah. That it really is this coexistence or this co-creation of it um, or this co-acceptance of it where we both choose to. So it's thinking what you were saying earlier, the converse of how your relationships have improved is the ones that aren't the healthier relationships have really do fade into the background. Not mm. because you're going to cut them out of your life, it's just you're creating space for the people that are bringing health and respect and intimacy and integrity to the relationships that you want to spend time with. So it's not that you're cutting people out of your life or, well, I'm not going to spend time with them. It's just you start to spend more time with people. Like you said, those qualities start getting better and health gets attracted to health. Yeah. You know, health, it's, that's the kind of the Darwinism thing that I think of. It's just like, mm-hmm. just people really want to be around healthy other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just yeah. gravitate towards that. 
on mm-hmm. all those levels again you know mental emotional spiritual and physical that yeah. you see people that are healthy in those zones we want to gravitate towards that and this method that we're talking about this way of being that we're talking about always comes down to am i the best version of myself right now mm-hmm. and if not what do i need to do today to get on top of that how do i parent a little bit better how do i talk to my spouse better how do i be a better friend how do i show up professional a little bit better and every day i do that I get closer and closer to having those, well, not really eight pack apps, but closer and closer <laughs> to the relationships. Yeah, so. that's so good. Oh, okay, well, where can people find your work? I know that your level one motivational interviewing course is actually something that's offered online and that isn't just yeah. available for therapists, but is available for some different people as well. Tell me a little bit about yeah. that. Um, so just, I keep creating more classes because more people want to talk about wider range of issues than just this method, mm-hmm. but real conversation. So, um, all the, all the stuff that I have, there's either the caseyjackson.com website, um, the IFIOC, I'm not going to say the whole, what the words are because people never remember, but it's IFIOC.com. Yeah. Um, That's where all the classes are. I do a lot. Same thing with you. I do a whole class this week. I did on MI and trauma informed. Um, but mostly I'm just fascinated with brain science. Um, and so that's the things that, you know, people want to have those kind of conversations around kind of health and communication and, and how our brains work. Um, so yeah, the IFIOC.com, um, same thing, just all the same Casey Jackson (laughs) on Instagram on, you know, every social media thing that there is, uh, just all those things, uh, either that or through the IFIOC side of the world. Great. Yeah. I would really recommend everyone go check out his work. I think he's doing good stuff and i know he's been a teacher to me so i'm just thankful for getting to sign up for that course almost on accident but it really was a huge uh, pivot for me so i'm thankful for what you're doing i hope our paths continue to cross yeah me too absolutely all right thanks everybody